everyone. That is right. You are listening to a bonus app that does not live behind a paywall, Zara. It's not a mistake. We promise you, you are all meant to be listening to this. No, look, today we are celebrating because it is the launch day of our new book, 4AM. It is officially out in the world. If you don't know what 4AM is, it's a compilation of our most popular newsletter columns. There's also a whole bunch of new newsletter columns from Mm. Michelle and I with sort of some advice-based content. Yeah. So in celebration, guys, we thought we should talk about the best advice we have ever received, the advice we think about all the time that we keep coming back to. And that I guess not only shapes our day-to-day, but maybe shapes who we are as people. We've obviously taken on the role of being the advice givers in 4am. So why not extend it here to the podcast and give you a little taste of what you might be in for? Yeah, exactly. Now, if you aren't a Shay Moore subscriber and you don't know what we normally do in these bonus apps, they're pretty fast and loose. Basically, what we do is every month, Michelle and I come to the table with something we want to talk about. We take turns. And this month, we thought we'll come to it together. So if you like this vibe of what this episode is. A little bit more relaxed. Yeah, a bit more relaxed. Personal Um, sometimes. Of course. This is what lives behind the paywall. So we will put a link to subscribe to Shamer in these show notes. If you're interested as well, we also finish every episode with questions from you guys that we source on Instagram and that's how they roll, baby. 100% that is how they roll, baby. And so we are going to dive into really some ramblings about the best advice we've ever received. Some are a little sugary. Some are a little serious. Zara, Ellis with an E McDonald, you're going to kick us off. Pick whatever piece of advice you want to begin with. Well, quickly before I jump into the first one, sorry, one quick disclaimer. Obviously, this stuff is very personal to us. So the life advice that we live by may not be the life advice that other people live by. And that's totally fine. Some of it may not be your cup of tea, but it is, I think, the things that we have learned to really love. So let me say that from the start. But the first thing I wanted to start with is I have a real passion for not being being a hero. And I will tell anyone all of the time, do not be a hero. We used to have this saying that I actually don't think makes sense with hindsight. <laughs> You're about to expose us. I know. We used to say like, don't be a martyr. Don't be a martyr. Which but, we thought don't be a, which don't be means, a victim maybe? Like, or or be... don't like try to do everything for the sake of it and yeah. like then feel sorry for yourself later. Like just don't do that. Don't make yourself struggle unnecessarily. Yeah. Like let people in and let people help you. Yes. And I, we realised when we wanted to kind of start sharing that advice far and wide that that sentence actually doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so I'm trying to adopt this idea of don't be a hero. Some examples of that. Um, maybe, I don't know if this is a good example, but this morning I went to the gym with one of the girls in our team, mm. Ray, our partnerships and marketing director. And last time we went to the gym together, because we only have one shower at the office, she left the class early without telling me to shower at the gym's showers so that I could come back to the office and use our shower. Rhiannon and Joyce. I know. And so when we walked into the gym class today, I said, don't be a hero. Just come back to the office with me. Have the shower first. first. I'm not in a rush today. Just don't be a fucking hero. Like, don't do it. And so I kind of take that very personally with me. Even at work, like, don't be a hero. Outsource things if you need to outsource. I can struggle with this. I think sometimes you call me out on this. I think one example actually was recently I scheduled a meeting for myself on a public holiday. Oh, my God. Because I I was like... That will mean that no one else needs to struggle with me not being around or non-contactable in office hours. I will take this other day when no one's working anyway and it's easy. And you looked at our calendar and you were like, 
why do you have a meeting scheduled on a public holiday? That's the thing. I had to look at your calendar and be like, that's absurd. Cancel that meeting now. Don't be a hero. Yeah, I can really, really struggle with this. But I think it's a, it's, I think I've had to do it running the business as well, because I mm. think if you took every single thing on and didn't outsource and didn't ask for help or didn't just try to sort of make yourself, I don't know, nail yourself to the cross like Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if this makes sense. You would actually really, really battle. Great analogy. So that's a huge one for me. And I think that's really inbuilt in how I live my life, but also how I do my work. And if anyone's wondering what that might look like day to day for Zara sometimes, it looks like Zara's air tasker account, which oh, often so has true. lots of little tasks going up. For example, there's a printer behind us. And I'm pretty sure we both looked at it and we're like, that feels hard setting up a printer. And so you just outsourced it to yeah, air tasker. And I know that some people might say, well, I don't always have the money to outsource things and I totally appreciate that. But in a business context, it's like you're really looking at how much time am I going to be spending on this task, building a printer, building a bar cart versus can I spend the $100 to pay someone to do this? Time is money. So that I can be doing something else. Yeah, time is money. And I think you in a business sense as well as in a personal life sense really lived that out. Yeah, I think so. That's a huge one for me. You go next. Can I offer a sugary one? I would love a sugary one. Keep it high and low. So never buy something, as in a piece of clothing or an accessory, that does not already fit in with the things you already own in your wardrobe. Only buy something that immediately slots into an outfit you already have every other piece of. The number of times, maybe a few years ago, I'd buy something and go, I'll buy this, and then I'll buy the pants that I think will go with it, and then maybe these shoes will go with it. No, 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 no. Only buy things that exist, slot perfectly into your existing possessions. Do you feel like this is something that you've tried to adopt over the last few years? Like, yes. is this a piece of advice because you didn't feel like you always did it? Yeah, not at all. I yeah. didn't do it. It's so funny because my partner, I realised maybe two years into our relationship, God bless you, Ollie, but is a horrendous packer on holidays. Yeah. And it took me a long time to try and work out why. We'd turn up <laughs> to these holidays and I would be like, why do you have 17 t-shirts and one pair of shorts? Like, none of this makes any sense. And I've realised that our ethos around style and fashion was very, very different. Mm. And that's why he would pack very differently on holidays because he would shop very differently as well. He would look at an item of clothing as an individual piece of clothing and think, I love that, without mm. thinking about how that actually fits into the broader context of his wardrobe. Yes. And it's like that when he packs as well. It's like you've got to pack in outfits, hun. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to see this as a puzzle. Like yeah. this is a puzzle. You've got the existing pieces. What's the piece that's missing? Even when I look at, say, influencers online that I love their style and I'm seeking inspiration from them, I'm only going to the outfits where I feel like I have the base of that outfit already and maybe I could add in that kind of cut of white shirt or that kind of mini skirt or that kind of pair of shoes. Not, oh, I need to start from scratch and buy this entire outfit. Oh, that top is so fun. They simply must have it and then you have it in your wardrobe and there's Nothing no way you can make it work. I have this shirt that we bought for a shoot. This is like three years ago and I love it and I see it in my wardrobe every day. And it's purple and it's fun. I do not know what I would wear that with again. And it's never been picked up after I wore it once, which is so bad. That's the thing. I mean, may I quickly add a style one to this if Please. we're already on the fashion train? Actually, this is this is something I learned a lot from Ray. I don't know how she's getting so many shout, shout outs in seven <laughs> minutes. But Ray in our office is very good with style and yeah. clothing. And I feel like in the last couple of years, I've learned a lot by working with her. And she definitely has this ethos. And it's not like it's something that I can soundbite in a really snappy way. But 
I think if I was to paraphrase how she approaches style, it's like the best style is building on what you have. Mm. Lazy style is seeing that you have an event and you need something fun to wear it to. The people with the best style have good existing wardrobes that they can pull on and re-wear stuff on. And the older I get, the more respect I have for stylish people that do that, Mm. that kind of re-wear a lot of stuff, that have really solid pieces in their wardrobe and don't just look to the weekend and think, I want the brightest, loudest thing I can find in order to draw attention to my outfit does that make sense like that's kind of the lazy style thing and by the way I say this because I did this for years and years Re often pulls a dress that she got like six years ago always and looks just as fashionable today as As it would have six six years years ago ago. and we were also talking about it in the context of this is so random but furniture in event spaces Mm. Um, we were having a conversation about you know we were kind of planning an event and there was some existing furniture in the event and the advice we got was scrap all the existing furniture that already is in the building and start from scratch and hire it all externally and she was like this is the same thing it's like good style and a good eye is being able to see what's already in that room Mm. and actually just add a couple of pieces even when it's really hard because Mm. that's the cost efficient thing to do and the smart thing to do Mm -hmm. and I always try to keep that ethos in it's very easy to be the one that scraps everything and starts again can you build on what you've got and still be really stylish love it does that make sense love it no I think that's great that's really really smart and I think really is wonderful when it comes to that kind of stuff. Exactly. What else have you got? All right. Let's go one of the more serious ones. Be a rock in the river is a piece of advice that my little sister Evelyn, who is incredibly intelligent, gave me when I was really struggling with something. Mentally and emotionally, I couldn't move past it. Like I felt really stuck in this place where I was really upset about this thing and I couldn't really come to terms with it. And I remember I was on the phone with Evelyn one day where she said, you just need to be a rock in the river. Like at some point, life throws shit at literally everyone. We all deal with stuff. You can either kind of stand up and feel constantly hit by this like current or you can literally just go to ground and let the current wash over you and decide that you are a rock in the river and this will not affect you and you are going to be strong and you are going to get through it and you are just going to look forward. You don't need to feel so emotionally affected. There needs to come a time where you just go, this is the the case. This is my life. This is what I've been dealt. I'm a rock in the river. And that mantra for me has been incredibly helpful. I've learned a lot about myself actually in the last few years. And when shit happens in my life, I need to adopt the rock in the river mentality because if I become too emotionally porous to everything, I capitulate. I just fall to pieces. I actually need to really adopt this attitude of pragmatism. Yeah. I was raised very much on this idea of don't dwell on Mm. things. And it can sound like it sort of stunts you, but it really didn't. I was always given the opportunity when I was a kid to like cry something out. I mean, I'm a big crier. Mm. I'm quite porous in that way. But I've always had this attitude of like cry about something for a night and then wake up the next morning and either get the fuck over it or deal with it like or find a solution. Yeah. Just like keep moving. And I think it really helps when you actually don't sit and dwell on things. Yeah. You emotionally deal with them and you still see a psychologist and all the right mm. things and you talk to your friends and you talk to your partner. But then you sit there and think like, what can you do? You can either sit there and let things, as you say, consume you and like stop you in your tracks or you can kind of keep moving and yeah. accept that at the end of the day, we all fucking have hard things. Yeah, in the last couple of weeks I've been going through something and truthfully I think the mantra I've repeated other than be a rock in the river more than anything else is it is what it is. Yeah. Truthfully, it is what it is 
is so helpful for me emotionally because it's like, yes, I am upset. Yes, this is not ideal, but it truly is what it is. I can't change it. I need to be solution focused and just look forward. If I dwell on why has this happened to me? I feel like it's unfair. How did I get here? None of that gets me to a place where I feel better. What gets me to a place where I feel better is this is the hand I was dealt. What is my next step? And then going step by step to feeling like I have some kind of control. And I think you can do that even in situations where you feel like there's no control. There are little things you can do that wrangle back a sense of control. I remember I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago in our newsletter when I was finding things hard a a month or two ago and I was in quite a a bad headspace. And as earnest as it sounds, what I had to do to survive was to look around and be like, yes, things are as bad as they've ever been, but they're also not always all bad at every minute of this day. You have to be positive. And I know that there's lots of conversations about toxic positivity around and all of those kinds of things. But I just flatly refuse that you don't always have to find positivity in moments. Mm. Like I had to look around and be like, what am I really, really lucky for? When I feel like the world is unfair, what am I getting that a lot of other people aren't? Yeah, Like that's the thing. You have to look at that. I had dinner with a loved one last night and we were both saying, being like, yes, it's shit, but like we're so lucky in so many ways. Like I am so lucky in so many ways. This one thing is shit but that doesn't make it a shit life yes it's a shit thing time and a shit experience and I've kept saying to myself over the last few years oh I want to start a gratitude journal like I want to write the things down that I'm really grateful for but I do feel like in the last few months I've been good enough at sort of making myself very present and alive to them in my Mm. mind like I'm constantly choosing to think about the positive things Mm. so I don't feel the need to write them down but the minute I start losing that I'm getting back (laughs) on the whole I need a gratitude journal thing yeah so I love that and I feel like you say that a lot I need to be a rock in a river you use it at work you say it to me we need to be rocks in the river here yeah and it's so funny because Evelyn said it once and I stopped her. She was like on a roll and I was like, stop. I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> that, that is sticking with me forever. That is so good. My next bit of advice is put your pride in the bin. I yes. hate pride. Yes. I hate it. I don't think I have a lot of pride. Mm, do I? No, I don't, I don't think you do. I think pride is one of the most damaging things in our life. I see it all the time with people who are too proud to say what they're feeling who were too proud to admit when they're wrong, Mm. who were too proud to tell someone they loved them or that they need them. Mm. And it's just like all pride does is get, in my opinion, get in the way of intimacy. Do you see pride being very connected with ego? Yeah, I guess part of it is ego. But I also think it's all got to do with being able to kind of be really in tune with your emotions. Yeah. And being able to say, I really need to tell this person this thing. Mm. You just see people have worse romantic relationships if they have too much pride because they're too scared Mm. of what an outcome might be, be it an outcome of a hard conversation or when you are telling someone you love them. I can't see any benefit to pride. Yeah. Can you? Yeah, no, I can't. And I think pride is also a resistance to vulnerability. You're so scared or so averse to the idea of being vulnerable with someone you love or someone that you just maybe work with, respect, whatever, that you don't give them a level of basic human decency in moments where they really need it. Well, I also think it's more like you're approaching scenarios with far more of a sense of rigidity, Mm. I think, like you're rigid. 
in a lot of different areas. And I think that's not how I want to live. I know that I can be proud sometimes, particularly when it comes to admitting you might be wrong or whatever it might be. But I always remind myself of that. Just like put your pride in the bin. It's literally not going to make any scenario better, I don't think. Yeah. I think someone's ability to admit they're wrong is one of the most likable traits or on the inverse, sorry, unlikable traits in someone. If someone can never admit that they're wrong, never own a mistake, never be held accountable I just find that so deeply unlikable because everyone is wrong. Absolutely. So many times a day even or so many times a week. It is infuriating to have conflict with someone who can't accept their part of it or can't come to the table and kind of open themselves up to how they might have contributed or the things they're owning shit for. Yeah, which must lead you to your next point. Yeah. That was my own security. <laughs> my one of my favorite pieces of advice or life mantras is fifty percent of conflict is your fault. I know I first heard this from Flex Mommy. I know that is a really bold statement. And I don't take this advice on in a really literal way. I don't think that every conflict I've had in my life has been perfectly fifty percent my fault. I think across my life, given I've been involved in 100% of the conflicts I've ever had, 50% of the blame should be taken by me overall. And I think about this mantra all the time, probably because it's related to pride. I think it's very tempting in any conflict in the moment to feel like I am the one who is right. Of course, we all think when we're in conflict that we are the one who is more right. I think that is such a human experience. What I find really helpful is repeating this mantra to myself to be like, okay, if I was to take responsibility for some of this conflict, what am I taking responsibility for? And it's not always, did I start the conflict? Did I say something offensive? Often it's how did I communicate in a way that propelled this conflict on for longer than it could have been? How have I not communicated the best way that I could have what is mine to take and 50% of conflict being your fault I actually think is incredibly important for everyone's ego to think about that because if you truly go through life thinking conflict is only 30% your fault or 40% your fault I would say what is your ego telling you that other people are wrong more often than you are so I have been sitting with this one because I've never resonated with this and I've been quite open with you Mm. like this hasn't hit me as a piece of advice Mm. as much as it's hit you and when you wrote it down I said I need to sit with my thoughts on this so I can come back to you and I was in the shower last (laughs) night and I realized exactly what it is Mm. the reason that this doesn't resonate too much if you've been in toxic relationships before this won't resonate Yes, Because I have been in relationships where all I've ever done is sort of internalise this idea that I'm constantly wrong. Mm. That whenever I raised something as a conversation point, that I was constantly told I was wrong and I would feel very embarrassed about that. Mm. And so if you're operating coming out of these relationships on you're wrong 100% of the time, it's taken a lot of work for the pendulum to swing so far the other way for me to feel like, no, I need to back myself. Mm. If there is conflict, there are dickheads in the world who will gaslight you mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. And you need to feel really sure of your own emotions and why you're kind of raising issues of whatever they may be. And I guess at the end of the day, it it depends on how you define conflict. Mm. If it is conflict an argument or is conflict a hard conversation? I think conflict is any kind of tension. If there's tension between two people in my life, I like to think that I am responsible for half of it. Yeah, I think, and that's the thing, and maybe I need to get my head around how we actually define Mm. conflict. I had this light bulb Mm. moment and I was like, it took me a long time to be like, no, sometimes when you have arguments or hard conversations, you need to back yourself. And I do also think that 
over the years, I've been pretty good at admitting I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. If anything, in some of these relationships, I admitted it too freely. Yeah. And I've had to unlearn that. Yeah. So I think it's just a case of some of these pieces of advice hit you for different reasons. Yeah. And And I've never been in a toxic relationship. I do think all of the conflict I've had in my life has been quite healthy and quite balanced. And I don't know any other way I would personally go about my life without accepting at least half of the blame. Totally. What about you? What's your next one? Oh, the classic. If it's not a fuck yes, it's a no. Mm. I need it to be a fuck yes in work opportunities. With time. With time. When it comes, yeah, when as particularly professional work opportunities. Because if you're umming and ahhing about it being a yes. You're going to regret now, it. Now when the actual time expenditure comes up, you're going to feel exhausted. I definitely feel it in that context. And I definitely feel it in romantic relationships. Mm. I know it's a big cliche and I know people think it's too binary and it's too black and white a big part of me thinks that sometimes romantic relationships should be a bit more black and white yeah I honestly think if you're not wholly sure of this person being able to treat you as well as they possibly can Mm -hmm. you don't need to be with them we don't need to be in relationships to survive that's a myth Mm -hmm. you're going to be fine by yourself so as long as you have healthy connections connections you just need connections you need friends or family or whatever it might be you need love you need love in your life in some form but we have been fed this myth that it has to be romantic and if you're not in a romantic relationship where you're saying absolutely even on the hard days it's not to say that things will always be very easy well I was gonna ask you I'm like are you saying does it need to be a fuck yes every day does it need to be a fuck yes every week a fuck yes every month a fuck yes every year you need to look at your life assuming you're a monogamous and you need to think is it a fuck yes to this person treating me really well Mm. is it a fuck yes to me loving them us respecting each other for the rest of my life and being in love with them and is it a fuck yes to me respecting them and feeling like this is as good as it possibly could be on the whole then yeah that's the question you've got to ask of course like this morning for example I um, (laughs) am speaking of um, this is like an incredibly funny example because this is an example of I did not put my pride in the bin and I did not accept any form of responsibility in this conflict I was going to as I said I was going to the gym and my partner Ollie was coming as well and we had 15 minutes until the class started and we were running around the house and we couldn't find the car keys oh my god and I knew I was the last one that had them but I had come home last night after a few drinks and I don't know where (laughs) I had driven with them but they'd been in my pocket and I couldn't remember where I'd put them and so I for some reason just started saying it could have been you (laughs) I was like 6 30 in the morning I was like we're not we can't guarantee I was the last one and lo and behold they actually ended up being in like a a handbag of mine and we got to the car and he was just laughing saying like I don't need to say anything here I'm covered in glory I'm absolved I'm covered in glory right now and I just said nothing the whole car trip (laughs) until I got out at the end and I was like I was wrong sorry I lost the case but I am sure in that car trip he was not thinking it's a fuck yes with you right now. Yeah. He was probably thinking this bitch is incredibly annoying. <laughs> like <laughs> I was on my phone. This stubborn woman. Yeah. Exactly. So it's not to say we're always perfect. But I do, I really, I really wholly believe in that statement and it's been a very hard one for me to swallow over the years when I was in scenarios where I wasn't sure if you know my partner was the right one or whatever Mm. and someone would say that to me and I would be like but it's not that simple Mm. with hindsight it was that simple how interesting Yeah. yeah I think the fuck yes should be applied to the questions does this person respect you is this person kind to you? I know kindness is not raising the bar particularly high, but I actually think 
I see so many couples who aren't even on a basic level kind to each other. Does this person love you? Do you love them? If all of that is a fuck yes, then I think the relationship is a fuck yes, despite the circumstances that might be making things tricky. I also think the sub question here that might make it easier to answer this question is, do you like them as much as you love them? Mm. I will always come back to that with my friends because I know people that are like, but I really love them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's so well and good, but do you actually like them? Mm. Like if they were a friend, would you like them? And a lot, I feel like a lot of bad relationships, people would say no. Oh my God, I love it. What have you got? I've got one more really sugary one. Treat your hair like you treat your skin. (laughs) I started this year with the most vacuous New Year's resolution. The New Year's resolution was I'm going to start taking care of my hair. That's not vacuous. That's fun. I had seen Alex Earl. This was like in the period of time where Alex Earl was absolutely booming on TikTok and or like just taking off on TikTok, becoming a really well-known name. And she was putting oil in her hair every day. And she was like going through the products that she uses on her hair to take care of it. And truthfully, for a long time, it didn't do much beyond shampoo and conditioner. Also, my mum used to tell me all the time as a little girl that my hair was dead. So what was the point in taking care of it anyway? So Vicky Andrews, if you're listening to this, I'm annoyed that you told me <laughs> such funny advice. So I didn't take care of it. And then truthfully, this is not sponsored at all. Purology came on as a sponsor and I started using their stuff and loved it. I was watching these Alex Earl videos of her taking care of her hair and I loved that and I started implementing it all. And I love hair care now. I love it. I think it makes the biggest difference what products you use, putting a little bit of effort in the same way you put a moisturizer on your skin an oil or something in your hair, a spray in your hair to help it. It makes a huge fucking difference, guys. I know. And the thing is, as you said, this is not sponsored, but I feel like the minute that Purology came on with us, everyone in the office started using their star and everyone's like, oh, my hair's never been better. <laughs> it's true. My hair has never, my hair's never and been better. And I know, like, healthier. I know the products aren't cheap, but no. I could not swear by them more. Oh my God. Because I'm like, oh, especially when I'm like a fake blonde. Your hair looks great. You have to look after the fake blondes because Vicky Andrews right, my hair is dead. <laughs> it's so fucking dead. Anyway, I love that. I um I'm probably a seventy to five percent of the way they're looking after my hair. But yeah. I'm probably seventy five percent of the way they're looking after a lot of parts of my life. Um, what have I got here? Do you here? have one maybe I think we're almost at the end yeah, of the we advice, are. maybe give me one more piece of advice okay. to give your life by. So I've mentioned on the show before that when I was a kid and I used to think this was such a weird thing, and I look back and I'm obsessed with it. My mum was obsessed with this, I think it's like a poem called the Desiderata. Yes. And she used to print it out, laminate it and put it above our beds. One of my favourite Trish McDonald poems. And I actually as a kid always thought it was some weird prayer. And so like never really, <laughs> I always used to read it. Like and, Corinthians or something. Yeah, I wasn't sure what it was. And I used to read it and I knew it off by heart because it was above my bed. Yeah. But I, I think it took until I was a teenager for me to understand what was there and why she had it there. And it's to this day, I think one of my favourite pieces of writing. And I think a lot of the values of members of my family you can find in different lines of this wow. poem. And I, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not. I'm sure it's got something to do with the fact that this is my mom's favourite thing and this is often how she lives her life and mm. that's funneled down. Mm. But there's a line in there which is especially do not feign affection. And I feel like in the last few years I've taken that quite seriously, which is like don't fake things. Tell the truth without being an asshole. Mm. And I think what that means in my life practically is I often think that if I'm asked to give a speech about something, I want to get to the truth of 
who someone is. I don't want to just say, you're amazing and we love you. I you're my favorite person. The really intimate thing to do is to be like, what makes this person this person and what is the truth of it? Or what made that memory or that scenario it yeah. rather than throwing cliches on things or kind of, I don't saying know. Saying things you don't mean. Saying things you don't mean. And I, I think I've entered this space where I think it's very rare that I say something I don't mean. Mm. I think I do try to get to the heart of something. I don't want to feign affection. And that doesn't mean I walk around telling everybody that skirt doesn't suit you. But it, I hope it means that if I say... I'm in a skirt today, so now I feel self-conscious. <laughs> well, your outfit's amazing. And I wouldn't say that if it's not true. I really like what you're wearing today. But I hope it means that when I do say things that are kind or when I do say things that are sentimental, that people believe me. They mean more they because really, they know you're not And it doesn't bullshitting. mean I want to be like sparing with it at all. I yeah. still want to be quite free with kindness and affection and sentimentality, but I want to tell the truth of it. Mm. And I think about that a lot. It's like, don't feign affection, mm. especially with people who aren't that nice as well. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, sorry. <laughs> people, you don't, people who aren't that good like, and don't, don't deserve be, it. Don't be that inauthentic Some in your don't life. Des- I think sometimes I can treat people with too much affection and kindness when they actually don't deserve it. Well, it's, and it's not about being me. And it's not about being rude, no. but it's like, where are you directing your energy? Are you bailing someone up on the street and sort of doing a big song and dance that's completely fake? I just don't want to do that at this point in my life. That classic thing of I will say into- hi <laughs> and wave and smile and keep walking. I will be like, we should catch up a coffee yeah. sometime, <laughs> knowing that's never fucking happening. I will start repeating that mantra to myself more. Guys, that caps off our favourite life advice right now. Shame more subscribers will know that we then, as you hinted to in the intro, Zara, we will now go into a couple of listener questions you guys are welcome to ask us whatever you like we will be selective with what we choose to answer sometimes today our question from listener sam is zara how is your relationship with instagram going are you still off it from monday to friday what a good question for those who haven't listened to our bonus episode on this i did a whole episode on how i was really struggling with social media probably december jan you also mentioned it in a shameless episode in january yeah and so for the first six months of this year was very strict about the monday to friday thing Mm. i went to europe I was on it the whole time because I was like, what the fuck's the point of being here? Did you feel anxious? Actually, no, that's a lie. I wasn't on it the whole time. No, I didn't feel anxious. I wasn't on it the whole time. I would go in bursts. I would have like three days on, a day or two, delete it and Mm. come back on. Then I came back to work and felt okay. But what I can sense in myself is when I feel a rising level of anxiety, I know the app needs to go. First thing to go. I delete it. Yeah. And I'm not as strict about how long I need to delete it for. Mm. But it's just getting it off my phone so I'm not doing that knee-jerk thing. When I delete it, I usually delete it for like a day. Yeah. But I feel in a really good – oh, I'm going to fucking jinx it. (laughs) Touch Touch wood. I feel in a good headspace. I don't feel as anxious about social media at this point. Do you feel less anxious overall? Yes. That's great. I do wonder if some part of that, though, is having had sort of a rough run and then coming out of it and sort of that old cliche being true, which is like, don't sweat the small stuff. Perspective. Yeah. Mm. It's a big cliche, but I think it's true. I feel much lighter. Cliches are often cliches for a reason. Yeah. And I think that's a huge part of it. Like I was obviously deeply anxious for an extended period of time Mm. a couple of months ago, Mm. but coming out of that, I don't feel very anxious. And I do think my relationship with social media has changed a lot because of the way I approached it for the first six months of this year. How good. Which is when, when I spoke in that episode, you know, how I was like, I just need less 
emphasis on this. Mm. I need to know that this is not the real world. The real world exists outside of the phone. And I think I was able to get myself into that mindset. So I was able to dive in and out a bit more freely. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I'm happy for you. Thank you. Our second listener question is from Katie. How did you girls make the decision to bring on a managing director? Super curious about that transition. Katie, what a good question. It's actually been something that has been floating around. Again, Ree from our team will get a mention. It's something that we had discussed with Ree here and there. We actually had a coffee with a mentor in Sydney in, was it May? Yeah. Might have been May. And we were kind of talking to this mentor about business dilemmas and stuff going on. And she said to us, get a managing director, hire someone super senior. You needed it yesterday. Um, And it's funny because I think, as Mish said, we had been speaking about it back and forth for the better part of a year or a year and a half. Yeah. We'd been tossing around for a while. It's when someone pushes you to be like, no, you need to do it now. They're like, well, I simply don't have a choice. So we started looking around and our wonderful managing director, Ange, has come on board. And it's such a classic case of, wow, what did we do before this? Genuinely, what did we do before Ange? And She's I, been here for a month and I don't know. And I think practically people might be wondering, okay, well, what is this transition? What does it mean? What changes about the business? Mm. Basically, what it means is Michelle and I were running the business ourselves, which meant managing all the staff, managing literally every single thing to do with the business. So Particularly you. So yeah, Michelle kind of sits more in the creative content space. Yes. I probably sit more in the um, business operations space. So it means like when we moved office, it's like who's finding the lease? Who's organizing the renovation? Who's liaising with the builders? Who's suddenly become project manager of the stamp yes. renovation? Even accounting stuff, who's liaising with our lawyers, accountants, all of those kinds of things. Yeah. I will still stay in that orbit and do a lot of it, but it's having someone to be the key point of contact became very, very hard for me to jump between content and business. I was struggling a lot. I kept joking to you, I can't jump between these two sides of my brain. Mm -hmm. But I think it was exactly that. I can't be creative and then be trying to think about money. Because every cog in your brain, particularly when we were doing the office move, I mean, we're recording this from our brand new studio and the office move has been incredible but the lead up to the office move was so demanding on you it was so stressful every cog in your brain had to be turning with the office move and the financials and da 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 like literally the longest list of things possible for you to then be like okay this long list and these cogs turning and then oh what about this fun little idea on the side that is extra effort and extra input and like requires all this energy of course your brain was then going fuck that thing like fuck this exactly and so we thought we also need someone in the room who's been in business for 20 years yeah uh we have only done this for a few years we've sort of guessed our way through it Mm -hmm. I think we've done all right to be totally honest I I don't want to like sell us short because I think we've done a really good job of trying to build the thing we wanted to build so far But it got to a point where we're like, okay, we need someone else who has a bit more expertise. And Ange has so much experience. Yeah. To, so much experience. To come in here and say, this is where I think we should be next. Here's what the business plan's going to be. Here's where we're aiming to be. In the Even next running meetings. Running Ange- meetings. It's, it's like a mental load off. Ange is like, I think, really great glue for the whole company and that everything can funnel or a lot of things funnel into Ange and then Ange can bring us all into a meeting and we unpack it all. And it's like, wow, not having to store all that stuff in your brain and my brain and muddle our way through it's like this incredible level of cohesion now to have a person there to be the glue and we don't manage staff anymore no to give ourselves more time to build shows and to build 
content. At the end of the day, you and I got into this business because we're content people. Mm-hmm. We're not business people. No. You can learn a lot about well, business. Well, we're, we're certainly not HR people necessarily. No, exactly. We have no training in that kind of stuff. And it's like we're better used to everyone if we're more in the content space than anything else. Where we have expertise. Because this is where our expertise are. A hundred. So that's why we did it and it is going very, very well. We are very, very happy. We're so grateful. Andrew's listening. We're so grateful. <laughs> so yeah, it's been a big transition but it's been an amazing one. So thank you for the question, Katie. That is all we've got time for. We hope you enjoyed this non-paywalled bonus episode in celebration of the launch of 4am. If you want to get your hands on the book, order it wherever you get your book. Show notes, guys. Go to our show notes. There is an e-book. There's an audio book. There's a physical book. book. There's an audio book. If you like listening to podcasts, then of course, do we, the audio book. Listen on Audible. Yeah, we narrated our columns. The columnists largely narrated theirs as well. So it's yes. familiar voices, some new voices as well. So if you do prefer audiobooks, it's out there as well. Thank you so much for supporting us as always. And if you loved this, subscribe to Shay Moore because this is what we do every single month. Yeah. We do it every single month. There are so many episodes that you can go back and binge if you subscribe now. We are on both Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. The link to subscribe to both will also be in the show notes. You also get early access to everything. So when one part of a scandal series drops, you don't need to wait future weeks for the rest of it. For example, we're doing Ariana Grande right now. As soon as part one dropped on Shame More, part two and three also dropped so people could binge the entire series in one go. Yeah, and any announcements that we make, we make to Shame More first. Also ad-free. Ad-free as well. All right, this episode was audio edited by Sahani Gunatilika. Thanks, Sahani. And uh, that's all, guys. Bye. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.